of a Bible this morning with you. Um, We're going to start by looking at Matthew chapter 21 and go there. But before I I go there, I I heard about this this young kid named Alex. And uh, he was at church one Sunday morning, and he was just kind of walking around, you know, like he normally does on church. And and at one particular um, time, he was walking through, and he noticed something that he had never seen before in the church. And there was this plaque that was hanging on the wall that had two American flags, on, on one on each side, and it had these little, um, um, like, tags that had people's names on it. And so he was just kind of staring at it, kind of reading the names and, and all the stuff that's going on there. And the, and the pastor just cap, happened to be walking by at the same time. And he noticed that Alec was standing there and, and, and noticing kind of what was going on there. So he walked up, uh, you know, to Alex and he was like, hey, hey, buddy, good morning. How you doing? He's like, fine. He said, um, the, you know, the, Alex said, you know, good morning, pastor. And he, he said, um, he, he kind of looked at the pastor and looked back at the plaque. He says, what is this? <clears throat> and the pastor just kind of looked at him and he said, well, son, it's a, um, it's a memorial uh, to all the men and women who have died in the service. And so after kind of telling them that, they just kind of stood there together, kind of looking. It was kind of like, you know, how seconds felt like minutes, you know, this kind of thing. Just, you know, I wonder kind of what he's thinking about, you know, with these people that have given their lives and stuff. And after a few minutes of kind of standing there, Alex kind of piped back up again, just kind of a soft tone. And he said, which one was it, the 9 a.m. or the 1030 For all the people that died in the service, Lord help us all, right? I got some Ananias and Sapphira going on up in here or something. I'm not really sure. <laughs> uh, anyways, I thought that was funny. Kids, right? Kids, kids will say some stuff. Um, so today, how many of you know what today is? It's Palm Sunday, <clears throat> okay? So today's Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter Sunday. And um, one of the things that, and I've thought about this many times, you know, you, you could thank me later. Uh, but the church that I kind of spent most of my time in as a pastor, every Palm Sunday, they would come in. Of course, now they lived in Florida, so this was really easy. They would come in and they would have palm branches. And so like people would just like wave palm branches during the middle of worship and stuff like this. How would you feel if I gave you some palm branches? I'd be like, hey. You'd be like, hey, let's do it. <laughs> um, w- w- it was interesting because at this church, it was, um, you know, they did a lot of flag ra- uh, waving too. I don't actually think they do many flags anymore, but back in the day, uh, they, they used to do a lot of flag waving, which was really a new experience for me. You know, especially, you know, times when you're in worship and somebody whacks you over the head with a flag because they're not paying attention. They get really excited about Jesus, like, pow, pow. You're like, Ugh. you know, <clears throat> so... Um, but they were a flag, you know, they all had all these different kinds and all of these different flags and different meanings and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, and so the church became known as, you know, Six Flags Over Jesus in the community. That's kind of what they called them, the Six Flags Over Jesus. And it was kind of an interesting thing. So they, they kind of had a um, kind of a weird vibe about them doing some of that kind of stuff. I promise, um, you know, they didn't have any snakes, so they didn't bust out any snakes in the middle of the service or anything like that. But... Um, they did wave some flags, and on Palm Sunday, they busted out the palm branches, and and kind of would you know 
lay them down in the center aisle and stuff like that. And it was all, you know, surrounding. Of course, like I said, you know, being in Florida, you got palm trees everywhere. So, like, you just want to go trim your trees. You can go out there and cut some palm branches down. You know, I'm not sure how easy it would be for me to get a hold of a bunch of palm branches <clears throat> in Alabama. It might be a little bit difficult. But we're going to be looking here today, being at uh, Palm Sunday, some of the story behind, um, you know, the Palm Sunday beginning the Passion Week of Jesus and and, and, and something that I really kind of want to just, you know, bring around, kind of tie home and, and maybe speak into our lives. And what happens here in Jesus' life and, and how things change rapidly and, and, and even changed amongst the people. So in, in Matthew chapter 21, uh, <clears throat> we're going to start in uh, verse 1. And let's kind of read there together as we go through about 11 verses here. It says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. All right? Which is always funny, right? Because like, when you think about this particular passage and the instruction that Jesus gave his disciples, they said, hey, go find a donkey. And when you find the donkey, it didn't say pay for it. He just said, go ahead and untie it like it's yours. All right. And when anybody asks you why you're untying the donkey, just says, hey, the Lord needs it. Like, okay. You know, right. If it's like my donkey and you're taking my donkey and I said, hey, what are you doing? And you say the Lord needs it. I'm like, so do I. You know, I, but somehow, so I, I don't know, that would put me in a real, you know, weird situation, you know, there trying to do that. If I was well, one of the disciples having to go make this happen, um, you know, ho- however, I could see like, because I'm kind of a more reserved guy anyways. I'm kind of like, no, I just, I'm not going to step on it. But I could see Pastor Devin doing this, right? I mean, Pastor Devin have no problem. Hey, the Lord needs this. Hey, you better get over it. <clears throat> Like Pastor Devin, gee, help us all, right? So, the, uh, and so, verse 4, it says, This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. And the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them, and they brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. And most of the crowd spread their cloaks upon the road, and others cut branches (coughs) from the trees and spread them out on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. All right. So this is the, you know, triumphal entry, the the triumphal entry by by Jesus. He's coming into the city. It begins the Passion Week. And and this is, you know, this whole idea of Jesus, you know, fulfilling this prophecy that he was going to be coming in on a donkey, on a colt, and he was going to be riding in the city. People heard that he was coming. By this particular time in his life, he had this great reputation, this renown of being able to, you know, uh, do, perform all these miracles and these, these healings that had happened. 
you know, at his name and at his touch. All these things were taking place, and it was making a major impact upon people's lives. And, and here's this moment here. He's riding in, and, and the people are rejoicing. If you go back to Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout for triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just, uh, he is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So here again is the prophetic, uh, you know, Zechariah speaking under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, under the inspiration of God, prophesying the coming of Jesus, saying that Jesus was going to come. He was this, this king, all right, behold, your king is coming. He's endowed with salvation. He's mounted on a donkey. And here it is, we see Jesus coming. Uh, we know in hindsight, you know, it's 2020, and we look back and we see that Jesus is the king. We see that he is endowed with salvation. We see all of those kinds of things happening uh, there as well. Uh, but in that particular day, in that particular time, you know, it wasn't quite as obvious. Because like if you were just, uh, if you were kind of reading prophecy and trying to interpret prophecy, like for example, our ability to look back in Revelations and to interpret Revelation. Um, it's very hard for us to understand every concept of what Revelation's talking about when it's talking about, um, you know, the future things. And so, Zechariah here is speaking about future things. Before Jesus came, he was speaking about future things. The people that were living in Jerusalem that time understood that he was speaking about things that were either in the present or the future. Right? And Zechariah says, your king is coming. So when you read that your king is coming, you automatically have this assumption that, that God it, it, his, is going to send a savior and the savior that comes is going to be a king. And the only way in that particular moment to understand the idea of a king is to think that it's going to be a really king. And that Jesus is going to come as a king and he's going to establish this earthly kingdom. And he's going to free the Jews from the Roman slavery and, and, and all this kind of stuff. This is what, so they're all out there praising him. They see Jesus riding in on donkey. Okay, the people that are in the know recognize the fact that he is fulfilling prophecy from Zechariah. Okay, that this is prophecy that the king is entering into the town, that the king is walking in, that the savior is coming in, and he's riding on a donkey and is being rejoiced by all these people. So they were anticipating the coming Messiah, but they were anticipating an earthly king, one who would come and establish himself as a ruler and free the people of the Roman, Roman um, you know, slavery that they were in. And they see Jesus riding on a colt, understanding the prophetic words of Zechariah, okay, and that, and that Jesus was coming to establish his kingdom here on earth. But the problem was, all right, is what they anticipated got to do. The problem was maybe a slight misunderstanding as to the purposes and in the mind of God. And so what you have here is Jesus, he's, he's riding in on a donkey, okay, they're, they're taking their coats off, right, their, their extra garments off, laying it on the ground, taking these palm branches, laying it on the ground, 
sure if they had Twitter, they'd be busting it out and they'd be tweeting. Right? They'd be going to Facebook Live. Okay, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus, everybody. Look at all these palm branches. Right? For all the people that aren't there in the middle of it. Okay, this is a moment of great celebration that's happening for Jesus. And it's all being done under, prim- under the premise that, that God is going to do things in a way that maybe I interpret and anticipate him to do. All right? This great moment of celebration, by the way, which Jesus deserves, does he not? Jesus deserves our highest praise, does he not? Jesus deserves our highest praise, does he not? I still don't think I got all of you, okay? I th- still think some of you are, I mean, <clears throat> like, you, you, you mentally agree with me. You're just a back row Baptist. You just don't want to say nothing, okay? That's what it is, all right? All right? But it, it's okay. It's okay to talk, all right? You know, you're not going to hurt me. Look, man, I, I've been in the middle of service where people are, like, shouting me down. Like, I can't even talk no more because people are yelling so loud. Like, stop. i got to get to my point here, right? <clears throat> so, um, so, What's happening here is these people worship. If you go back and look um, at, at what's happening here, if you the, the people were saying Hosanna, all right? There was th- this whole phrase that is, is described here, Hosanna to the Son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. All right, that word Hosanna, um, if you look at the original language, the original uh, Greek that's being used in this particular passage, that word means, um, it means to be propitious, okay? It means to be propitious, and just to help you out a little bit, even though you may have an idea of what propitious is, I want you to understand fully what it means. Propitious means to be favorably disposed towards someone, okay? In other words, that they, the Bible says that these people were, they were kind of predisposed to be favorably towards Jesus, Right? They were favorably towards Jesus. But the vast majority of the reasons why they were favorably towards Jesus was because of their anticipation of what Jesus was going to do. All right? It was that they were going to be favored. So, you know, they, they were favorably disposed to Jesus. Maybe because he was going to finally do what they thought he was going to do. He was going to finally become the king. He was going to, you know, there were several times throughout, um, throughout, the, um, throughout the New Testament Gospels where the pe- there, were, there were, like one time in particular where the Bible says that Jesus had just got done performing all these miracles. And he said he sensed that the people were trying to rally to make him a king. And the Bible says he just kind of disappeared amongst the people and just like walked out. It was just really kind of crazy anyways, right? That Jesus just like, what, like he just vanishes in midair and just kind of walks away from a crowd who he recognizes as trying to do something. That was, so this wasn't, this wasn't something that just happened on this Palm Sunday, this triumphal entry. This was something that was beginning to build amongst the followers of Jesus, amongst these people that were seeing what Jesus was doing. This was something that was building all along and they were favorably disposed to Jesus because they thought that Jesus was going to do what they really wanted God to do. And that was to establish the earthly kingdom and to free them from Roman rule. I mean, if you look throughout the history of Israel, what do you see a pattern of? 
you see a pattern of, um, uh, of obedience and then disobedience and then slavery and then deliverance from slavery, um, right, to obedience, to disobedience, to slavery, to deliverance from slavery, back to obedience, to disobedience. And there's this constant pattern in the Old Testament, if you read the historical books, where um, they're, they're enslaved, like, you know, Egypt, they're enslaved in Egypt, and then they get freed from Moses, and then they go into the promised land, eventually they become enslaved there, and then they get delivered again, then they become, there's, there's this pattern of, of uh, so now they they're find themselves again in, a, in this spot where they are enslaved by the Romans. They are under Roman rule. And so the natural thought here is that God's going to send a deliverer, and the deliverer is going to come and deliver us from Roman rule. All right? That's, that was the perception. And here's the thing that, that I want to I make. I want to kind of bring this back around to us. All right? Uh, Based upon maybe our um, our ideas about God, our ideas about the character of God, about the nature of God, we oftentimes are predisposed to think that God will do certain things in certain ways and in certain times because we think that that is the way that God should do it. <clears throat> so we often, as we have uh, a concept that God is supposed to act in a way that we think that God would act. We have a, a, this idea that God will do things in a way that we think that he ought to do them. And it's all based upon the fact that, you know, maybe it's like, well, if God is good, then he will do this. If God really cares for me, then he will do this. If this is God's will for me to do this, then it's going to be well and it's going to be good and I'm not going to have problems, I'm not going to have issues, I'm not going to have difficulties. So we oftentimes, even in our own lives, we have our own perceptions of how we think God is going to move in our life. We have our own perceptions of how we think our future is going to go. We have our own perception of how God, how we feel like God is going to deliver us out of our own issues and our problems and our trials. And really, it's not that far removed from what these guys had, right? So what happens here is in the moments in our life when God is coming through the way that we think he ought to come through, we don't have a problem going Facebook Live. We don't have a problem tweeting it out, throwing up cool Instagram pictures. We don't have a problem coming in here and celebrating and singing and getting all excited about what God is doing. But what happens in the moments of our lives where God is no longer doing things the way that we are, are predisposed to think that he's supposed to do them? So what if God doesn't show up in the way that you anticipate him to show up? How do we act then? How do we respond in those moments of our life? Can we still worship Him with the same passion? Can we still worship Him with the same fervor? Can we celebrate Him with the same focus and intensity in those moments in our lives where things aren't going the way that we want them to go than when they are going the way that we want them to go? In this particular moment, in this scripture, things are going the way the Israelites think they should go. Like, hey, He's riding in on a donkey. Here comes the king. And we're going to take palm branches down and our clothes off. And we're going to lay them down. We're going to, look, it is extravagant worship that they're giving to Jesus because they see him as the king riding into Jerusalem to save his people. And guess what? 
he was a king riding into Jerusalem to save his people. Just not the way that they thought he was going to do it. Right? Right? So, what happens, what happens is, is that <clears throat> in about four or five days, people were celebrating and worshiping Jesus, and in four or five days, they are cursing him and hurling insults at him. You know, you could say it goes maybe five to seven days. It lasts seven days, right? He, um, all the way up until his death on the cross. Um, in Matthew chapter 27, verse 20, it says, But the chief priest and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? Asked the governor. Barabbas, the people. Not, not the, the leaders, who we already know the leaders didn't like Jesus. Now the leaders are asking the people, okay, and their people are like, give, give us Barabbas. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah, Pilate asked, and they all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate, but they shouted all the louder, crucify him, Right? So, you know, if you know some of the stuff that happens, what, you know, if you read kind of the story, it'd be a good thing to do, you know, during this particular time of the year. You read some of the story that's happening behind Jesus and, and what's happening in his life here. Um, the triumphal entry happens, all right? <clears throat> all these people are celebrating. And you know what the first thing he does once he comes into the city after all these people got down and worship him and, and, and praising him? It's the story where he cleanses the temple. <laughs> where he goes in with a whip. He's like, y'all get out of here. Y'all making my house a den of thieves and all this kind of stuff. He goes in. So this guy who's supposed to be this good shepherd, good guy, this king that's going to, you know, now he comes in and it's been a couple of days. You know, the king's ridden in on a donkey like the prophet says. He's not doing anything. If he's doing anything, he's coming in. And he's, he's tipping over the apple cart. He's changing the way that we've always done things. You know, he's telling us that we're all doing all this bad stuff. Right? That now God is moving in their lives in a way that they don't really want him to move. Okay? Once he was going to become the king that set everybody free. Now Jesus is coming into life and he's ripping everything apart. He's trying to point out the areas of their life that they need to change. The things that they need to do different. And they're like, you know what, I don't... I don't know if I really want this Jesus anymore. I don't really know if I want this kind of king anymore. And so in one moment, they're worshiping him and giving him this, this form of over-exaggerated praise, extravagant praise. And the next very moment, they're like, you know what, I don't even know if I want Jesus anymore. And over just the progression of just a couple days, we get all the way to the end where the people are like, you know what, I don't want Jesus so much that I would rather have Barabbas, a thief and a murderer, to be set free. And let's just go ahead and crucify this Jesus, you know, because he's not who I thought he was going to be. Now maybe you could say, 
I think in, in a way you could probably say like, well, maybe the people that were celebrating Jesus when he came in weren't exactly the same people that were yelling crucify him, right? Um, sure, that, there's probably some, some truth to that. We don't really know. One way or another, we really don't know. But uh, I would say like, where are the people where are the people that were worshiping him? You know, where were their voices um, in this particular moment? At best, we could say that they were silent, that they had gone from worshiping Jesus to being silent, right? So maybe it's not that they went so far as worshiping Jesus to hurling insults at him, but maybe it went as far as like, I'm worshiping him now, but now I'm silent, all right? And, and what, is, what does silence represent in that particular moment? It could represent uh, confusion, maybe disillusionment, um, maybe unsurety, you know? Like, so in, in this one moment where I'm worshiping God so much and, and I'm so confident and I, I, I'm, we're celebrating this coming Messiah and the next minute people are wanting to crucify him and now I'm not really sure anymore what I believe, right? I'm not really sure anymore how I feel. I'm not really sure anymore what I want to do. And, and don't we all kind of face those tests in our life as well, right? When you think God should do something a certain way in your life, and then he doesn't, and then we're like, I'm not really sure anymore about how I feel about this. I'm not really sure about God's goodness anymore. I'm not really sure about whether or not God cares about me anymore. I'm not really sure. And, and so we go from one moment in our life where we rejoice loudly over God's goodness, over His greatness, over His position, over His strength, over His power, over His miracle-working wonders that He does. And the next very moment, okay, or a week later, we find ourselves thinking like, well, I don't really know. Because I thought if, if God really cared, he would have showed up by now. If God really wanted to do something, he would have already done it by now. And instead, you know, we find ourselves in a position where we begin to question God. Instead of being consistent in our faith and trusting. See, because really what we're getting at here all along is that the people that worshipped him okay, on the triumphal entry didn't trust him. I mean, they didn't. They may have been worshiping him, they, you know, when everything's going good. You know, when you got a full band up here and, and you got a drummer and other people to play instruments, you know, and everything's going good and, and the microphone's not cutting out and everything like that, then, you know, I, hey, you know what, I, I can worship Jesus. I can worship Jesus real good. Everything's going good in my life. My kids are finally behaving. You know, my money situation's doing a lot better, all right? I got a job, I got all this stuff going on, all right? Yeah, you know what, man, I'll, I'll raise my hands. <clears throat> I ain't never raised my hands before in my life, but I'll raise my hands now. I'll worship him. Things are going good in my life. I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem tweeting it out. I go to this church. I love Jesus, okay? You don't have a problem doing all those things when things are going good. All right, but then in your life, when things begin to take a turn, and, and you start having questions. Kids start acting up. The Sunday morning service is not as great as you thought it was going to be. Okay, The sermon is not as great as you thought it was going to be. Your life's not as great as you thought it was going to be. And then you start dealing with all these things that start popping up all over the place. And you're like, where's your voice now? 
Why aren't you worshiping him now? Where are the people at the triumphal entry that were worshiping Jesus when he came out? Where were they in the crowds of the people that were yelling, crucify Jesus? Where did they go? They disappeared. They were gone. And you want to know why? Because they didn't trust him. Because they had it all figured out. They knew that if God was going to do something, he was going to do it this way. And once God stopped doing it the way that they thought he was supposed to do it, okay, then all of a sudden it's like, I, I don't know. God, okay, so, you know, but truth, right? God doesn't have a responsibility to do things the way that we think he ought to do them. I mean, Right? He, he doesn't have a responsibility to do things the way that we think they should be done. Um, and just because he doesn't do things the way that you think they should be done doesn't mean he's not good. And it does not mean that he's not faithful. And it does not mean that he does not care. I think that, um, you know, when, when children don't know the word no, right, and they get everything they want, they become spoiled brats, okay? When we, as spiritual sons and daughters of God, get everything that we want when we want them, we can become spiritual spoiled brats, right? So we have this mindset I, that's no different than, say, my kid's mindset that they have with me. Like, well, we have money. I don't understand why you can't get this for me. Well, it's just because, like, I'm just saying no right now. I'm just saying no right now, right? Um, and sometimes I don't always have to have a reason why other than the fact that, like, you know, have you ever noticed that, like, um, when kids don't like decisions that you don't make, it's not because they really want to know why you're making that decision, Right? So I had this conversation with my daughter the other day. She wanted me to do something. I said, no. She said, why? I gave her a reason why. And she said, well, I don't, you know, but still, why? <clears throat> right? So I said, I just gave you a reason why, and you're still asking me why. I said, you know what that tells me? You don't really want to know why. You just want me to change my mind. Okay? And, and the truth is, in our life, sometimes the way we deal with God... We ask God, why? Why did you allow this to happen? Why aren't you changing the situation? Why aren't you changing my circumstances? A lot of times we don't really want to know why. We just want God to change his mind. We just want God to do it the way that we think it should be done. And unfortunately, um, you know, God knows best what's for us in the moment and knows how to, you know, grow us and develop our faith and our trust in him and there's just going to be times in our life where he's just going to say no, and it's just going to be that way. Rob, you go ahead and come. You see, these people, you know, you look through the history of Israel. When they were enslaved in captivity in Egypt, God sent Moses, and Moses delivered them. And guess what happened when they finally got delivered? They left Egypt. They, it was funny because they plundered Egypt and took all of Egypt's stuff. 
you know, a lot of their stuff. And they left celebrating the goodness and faithfulness of God. All right? <clears throat> and then they get a little ways down the road, and they run into the Red Sea. All right? And at the edge of the Red Sea, stuck between the edge of the Red Sea and the Egyptian army who's now decided, you know what, we don't really want y'all to go. What happens to the Israelites in that moment? Are they like, oh Lord, you're so faithful and good, we love you. Or is it, Moses, why did you bring us out here in the wilderness to die? You scumbag. You don't care for us. God, you don't care for us. They all of a sudden start questioning God and everything. Okay, just a few days ago, they were worshiping God because God was so good. Now he ain't so good no more because we're stuck between the Red Sea and our enemy and there ain't nowhere for us to go. Okay, you know, thank goodness, thank goodness Moses was there. Okay, otherwise they would have all been dead. It wasn't, if Moses wasn't there to hear the voice of God and, and to stay calm in the midst of it and to trust God in the midst of it, who knows what will happen to all the people? They've just been wiped out by the Egyptians. I don't know. Maybe God would come back and do something anyways. And be like, you know, I don't know. You know. He brought a leader. He put a leader there. This leader trusted him. But it showed the fickleness of these people. Okay? They continued to go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Look throughout the wilderness. They get into the wilderness. God delivers them. You, know, you would think at some point with the, 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 all the plagues that happened in Egypt and the things that happened in that moment, that God brought them out of Egypt. And then, you know, I mean, you're walking, you're, you're walking on dry ground through the middle of the Red Sea. Like, it, like at some point in your life you would think like, hey, I think I've seen enough miracles, now I trust God. Instead they get out into the wilderness and, and, and they go over to Mount Sinai and Moses goes up on a mountain to meet with God and then everybody's like, oh, but he's been up there too long and maybe, maybe he's abandoned us, maybe he's left us. Let's go ahead and build us an idol. Let's build us a calf. Get all your gold. And then just in a moment, they, you know, you know, they, they celebrated all that God had done to, to rescue them and destroy. God rescued them and destroyed their enemy in the process Right? And they worshiped and they celebrated God. And not many days later, they're at Mount Sinai, decided talking about worshiping idols. All, right? All it is is a microcosm of our own life sometimes when we allow ourselves to be persuaded by the circumstances around us. We'll worship God when everything's going the way that we think it ought to go. But the moment it's not going the way that we think we, it ought to go, then all of a sudden it's like, well, you know what? I don't really know. Maybe it's not God. Maybe I bumped my head. Maybe there's something wrong. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe God don't love me. Maybe God don't care about me. All of those kinds of things. And then we find ourselves in a position where we start stepping back. All right? And maybe it's like Peter, you know, after Jesus got arrested, the Bible says that, that when, when Jesus was arrested, that Peter followed him at a distance. The very, the very guy that said, you know, I will, I will fight to the death for you, Jesus. I will, I will go to the ends of the earth for you, Jesus. I, you know, there's no way I'm going to deny you three times. Right? Now understand, so listen, that it was, it was really the fact that following Jesus at a distance is what set Peter up for denying Jesus. Right? Because that actually came first. What came first in Peter's life is this... this Jesus got arrested. And then the Bible says that Peter began to follow Jesus at a distance. 
right? You can't, okay, you can't follow Jesus at a distance and be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. You can't do it, right? Um, when you follow, begin to follow him at a distance, then everything in your life becomes, you know, it's just debatable whether or not you can stand for him, um, whether or not you can worship him, whether or not you can honor him. And, and you get to a place in your life where everything is up and down based upon. And, and here's the thing that I would say. I, I think that at some point in our life, we've got to learn to trust God. Like, at some point in our life, we've got to draw the line in the sand, right? It's almost like, um, you know, that you, you cross the bridge, right? And you blow the bridge up, right? That you burn the bridge. You say, um, you know, I'm not going back. I trust God. And you know what? I'm going to worship him in the good times. I'm going to worship him in the bad times. I'm going to celebrate him in the good times. I'm going to celebrate him in the bad times. And I may not understand all of life's trouble. I may not understand all the difficulty that I'm going through in my life. I may not understand all the problems. But just because I don't understand why things are happening the way they're happening doesn't mean that God is not good. It doesn't mean that he is not for me. And it doesn't mean that he does not care. At some point in our life, we've got to recognize that and not allow ourselves to be so up and down in our faith, but that we are consistent and consistent in our passion, our faith for God, that no matter what we face, no matter what trial, no matter what difficulty, no matter, you know, I, I, this past week, it was something that kind of, I don't know, I thought about Job for a second, and not, I'm not trying to preach on Job, but I thought about Job, and I thought, I mean, this guy lost, uh, he lost all his possessions. In a moment's notice, he lost all his kids. Um, and his wife turned on him in the midst of all of this. He, 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 was, he lost everything. He had every reason in the world why to question God, to question God's faithfulness, to, to, to begin to uh, take a step back. And I think that one of the things, and while there are times when you read Job, you'll see that he begins to ask questions about certain things. But one of the things that you see in Job is that he, he, never, he never allowed his faithfulness to waver. He never allowed his trust in God to waver. Like even in the moments where he asks questions, he says, I will still trust you. Like I will still put my hope and my trust in you. And it's not like Job didn't like his kids, right? I mean, it's not like Job like hated his children. Like, oh, thank goodness they're gone. <clears throat> I mean, who, who would do that? And who in that particular moment, I, I think about my own life, that would be such a devastating blow to my life. And yet I look at somebody like that who was written in the Bible, and yet they were consistent in their faith. And yet here I am, you know, there's a little bit of this and a little bit of that changes in my life and makes things difficult. And all of a sudden, sometimes I'm like, you know, God, do you even care about me? Do you even love me? Do you even, you know, I don't even know. Like, am I, you know, and, and I think that we have to get to a place in our life where our faith is consistent. And, and some of this is, is uh, recognizing the fact that, that even though we don't know his ways or understand his ways, that we can trust his heart. And it's also about putting ourselves in his presence more often than not. 
right? The more I find myself in his presence, the more often I find myself trusting him, okay? Because his presence makes it easy for me to trust him, right? Okay? You stand to your feet this morning.